0: Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Self-Helpless Podcast. I'm Delaney Fisher, and today we have a phenomenal guest. It's my cousin, Karen Trowbridge. She is a palliative care social worker, wife, mom, and loves a good vodka while she watches her favorite TV show, A Million Little Things. Karen, during this episode, shares how she navigated her grief after the loss of her daughter, Olivia. She talks about how it changed the way she thinks about death, what has helped her cope and what doesn't help at all, how this experience has changed her as a person, what this loss feels like compared to other losses she's experienced, how people treat her when they hear that she has lost a child and what she wishes people would do differently, how she responds when people ask her how many kids she has, how this affected her marriage. How she explained the death of her daughter to her other daughter, who was a toddler at the time. This episode is very raw. And if you are not able to hear about this kind of loss or this kind of grief, this just might not be the episode for you, or it might not be the episode for you right now in this moment. Okay, here is my conversation with Karen. Thank you so much for being here at my dad's house on a Friday night at 10 p.m. I can say I don't think uh, I've ever looked better for an interview. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here, even if it is 10 o'clock at night. But hey, that's what happens when you have kids. So
0: we made it happen. We made it yeah. happen. And, uh, we put a little uh, lipstick on for everybody, so it looks like we put a tiny bit of effort into yeah.
1: it. Yeah, and, and with- I had to- <laughs> and I had to borrow Delaney's headphones, which had earwax in. Them. <laughs> <laughs> you bitch.
0: <laughs> I Cam and I share those headphones so I am going to blame him for the wax issue. Well, but they're we gross. Did get it out with the tip of a pen. So <laughs> this one right here. Oh. oh, gosh. Let's get into it, shall we? Would love to hear if you have a favorite or least favorite quote or saying or anything that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, so um favorite quote it's actually, I think a saying, um, author is anonymous. So it's very personal to me and the topic. Um, and it's an angel in the book of life wrote down my baby's birth and whispered as she closed the book too beautiful for earth. That is something that, um, I just, I really love.
0: Mm. And where did you first hear that? Or how did you find that?
1: So the story behind that is when we first found out about our daughter and, um, what we were about to go through, I, you know, was Googling support groups, things like that. And I came across baby center and in one of the like chats, I guess, with other women who were, um, either had gone through this or going through it, um, had shared that with me and I loved it so much. It's kind of What it was almost like it brought me to reality. Like, you know, this is this is her story, and I just wanted to help share it. Like, I was given the opportunity to share her story.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Um, Do you have a least favorite quote of any kind?
1: Um, It's not really a quote. It's a saying that people say often, and it's "You're so strong. I can't
0: stand that shit." Like, I'm I'm not. I I don't
1: always want to be strong.
0: Yeah. Well, what, okay. So when you, when somebody says that to you, how, how do you feel about it? Like, what's your immediate reaction that even if it's just internally
1: annoyed, like I, there's some like almost as if, um, I don't get permission to not be strong as if not being strong is a weakness. Like, does that make sense? Yeah. So by constantly telling someone, wow, you're so strong, you're so strong you know, no, I'm not. I'm human. And this is life. And I'm just dealing with life. I'm nobody special. Um, I'm just like you or other people who are going through this. So sometimes I just think that comment can be very counterproductive.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, So Karen, can you take people back a little bit? Can you share some information and, and the background about Olivia? What happened? When did you find out? And everything that kind of transpired?
1: Yes. So, um, and I just want to thank you for, you know, giving me the opportunity to kind of share my story about Olivia. Um, I wish my husband could be here with me kind of sharing it because really it's our story together. Um, so my daughter, Olivia, her full name is Olivia Tinkerbell Trowbridge. Um, actually That's Olivia, Michael Tinkerbell-Trowbridge. She was born with trisomy 18. It's like a very rare uh, disorder that causes severe developmental delays um, due to an extra chromosome 18. So a lot of times um, it's also known as Edwards syndrome. Long story short, trisomy 18 is um, it's fatal. It's a terminal diagnosis. So. When we found out about Olivia, I was about 22 weeks. I was halfway through my pregnancy, and what, what prompted this is I had an amniocentesis done because I just had this like really, I just had this feeling like I really wanted to know if she had something called Fragile X because um, I'm a carrier for it. So um, I have an older daughter Quinn who I didn't do the amnio with, and I have a younger son, Patrick, and I didn't do the amnio with him, but I was really adamant about getting this test done with my pregnancy with Olivia. And so I did that test about 20 weeks. Um, it took about two weeks to get the results and I will never forget it. I was at work when I got the call from our OB and she wanted to tell me the results of the amnio. So I left my desk to go into the huddle room and I will never forget it. I was by myself at work, sitting in this bare room when she said, I'm so sorry. Uh, your child was has trisomy 18. And my initial reaction, I didn't know what trisomy 18 was. I thought she said Down syndrome. Like, mm-hmm. that's what I was thinking when I think of trisomy. And I remember my exact words still to this day were, okay, Down syndrome. That's cool. We can do that. Like, we can deal with that. And um, she goes, no, not Down syndrome, trisomy 18. And then she went in to explain what that meant. And honestly, at that point, it was a blurb because she started talking about, you know, you could terminate the pregnancy. And I'm just like, why is she saying that? Why is she saying this? Because I didn't know what trisomy 18 was. And then she said, You know, this is not curable. This is a terminal diagnosis. And then um, I just remember I was like, Okay, I have to go now because I'm at work. And I left. I, I just left work. Like I just left, I walked out. Yeah. And I remember I was driving home and all I could think about was, What am I going to tell my husband? What am I going to tell Sean? Because I was by myself. I just think. In hindsight, that might have been a good conversation to call your patients into the office and have that news be told to each other. Mm-hmm. I was alone, with nobody, and um, wow, I haven't said that out loud in a long time. Sorry, <laughs> that kind of makes me emotional. Okay. Um, go, go, yeah. Let it so, on. so I get like halfway home. I'm driving, and I call Sean, and I am hysterical and he's like what what's wrong what's wrong and i just said our daughter has trisomy 18 our daughter has tr-. and he's like what and he kind of was like it's okay it's okay we'll figure it out and then i parked i got off and then i parked and i kind of pulled my thoughts together and i said no like she's not going to make it we're going to lose this baby and um Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting,
0: <laughs>
1: um, cause I talk about her so often, but not this part of my, my journey. Yeah, um, I
0: haven't heard any of this before. Yeah.
1: So, um, we, what we, he said, stay where you are. And he came and found me and we sat in the car together and, um, we just, we just kind of like, were stunned and shocked. And I thought, Oh my God, like, how am I going to tell people, you know, you start to go down this wheel of like, well, what, what does this mean? And so of course I did Dr. Google and research what trisomy 18 was before I was going to tell anybody about it. And don't ever do that because it just tells you all the horrible things, which unfortunately for our situation was all very true. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was reading, right. That most, babies don't survive uh which could cause in like at this point we would be looking at a stillbirth because she wouldn't be making it we were halfway through our pregnancy and you know i am very pro choice for anybody it's your decision but for me personally i was halfway through this pregnancy and i really felt like there's no way i'm not i am not giving up this baby what if they're wrong what if they make a mistake and for me, because I know this, everybody's is everybody's journey is different for me. I really felt like, what kind of mother would I be if I threw in the towel, Mm -hmm. you know? So Sean and I went back to the, you know, we, we, I called back the doctor and she was giving me my options again, really pressing termination because I was basically told you're going to have a stillbirth if you don't terminate the pregnancy. And because of the diagnosis, we were able to terminate at any point. And none, my doctors weren't really on board with my plan of wanting to keep this baby. So halfway through my pregnancy, I I fired all my doctors and found somebody that was willing to basically take one day at a time with me and, and have this baby with me. And that was a really hard process because I didn't feel supported in my decision with my own medical team, let alone like trying to tell my family yet. So um, luckily for me, I was able to find a doctor who had delivered one other trisomy baby his entire like 30 years of his career. That's how like rare it is. And um, he made me feel so normal. And that's exactly what I needed in that moment. Um, so, sh- you know, Sean and I together, once we made this decision that we were going to have this baby, we literally were forced to live in the present because um, we didn't know it, waking up every day. Okay. Um, is this going to be the day I, that, that this happens? Or um, so fast forward, you know, we had to see a lot of specialists. We were closely monitored. And I remember when I saw um, one of our specialists, he basically was telling me, well, at least, you know, it's trisomy 18, this decision is kind of made for you. They won't have like a lifelong disability and I will never forget that I'm in the doctor's office and he's telling me this decision has been made for you oh, and is- um, you know, life. poor bedside manner yeah. and Sean was with me and I just thought, okay. So um, it made me realize, like, I think I was the rarity for wanting to continue this pregnancy. And I was going to do it alone, whether my team agreed with me or not, until I found that one doctor. And that was it. I carried out my journey. So Sean and I were faced with some really hard decisions, like, do we want to try heroic measures like intensive medical treatment that would maybe prolong her life, but it would never cure what she had. And ultimately it would be terminal. And if you look at like statistics, things like that, I mean, most babies don't live past one, maybe longer, but they have, I mean, you know, really, really like severe medical issues. And so Sean and I made the joint decision that, you know, if we were going to have this baby and she was going to survive, we were going to love her as long as we could. So we made the choice because we were convinced we weren't going to even get the opportunity to really meet her. Mm-hmm. We decided we were going to um, choose hospice. We wanted comfort care because we didn't like the idea of like the NICU and never being able to hold her. Yeah. So week after week, she was still hanging in there and, um, you know, I was very I wasn't secretive about my pregnancy. It was very obvious. Everybody saw that I was pregnant, but I um picked and chose who knew what was going on because I wanted people to still celebrate her. She was somebody still we're celebrating. This was a baby that was going to come into our lives and no matter how long she was going to stay for, she was making a difference in our life already. And so um you know, sometimes someone would be like, Oh, how far along are you? And I would tell them and I'd be like, yeah, I'm so excited. I can't wait. And then my closer friends would be like, how are you doing? And I'd be like, you know, I'm okay today. Um, because I still craved that normalcy. I needed that for myself to be able to cope. And it didn't, you know, it took me years to figure this out, but I realized as soon as we found out about her diagnosis, I really was grieving the loss of my daughter before she was even gone. So, um, we had a, that's a lot of grief to like wake up every day, not knowing if this was going to be the day. And, you know, when we told family, some people just didn't really understand that, you know, I think part of it was they didn't understand the diagnosis and they didn't understand why we weren't choosing like really like heroic measures, why we weren't, we weren't going to do that. And it was hard to have to go through this and then also educate people on this isn't going to change her situation. Um, so we made it to full term and then, um, we had her and she was like, she was here. <laughs> like, yeah. We were like, nobody knew what to do because we had been prepped the whole time. We were going to either have a stillbirth or we were going to have a baby. And then she would probably pass within a few hours. And that little girl lived 16 days. And we got to take her home and we loved on her. And um, it was the hardest 16 days of my entire life. A lot of crying, a lot of laughter. Um, I mean, I was very selfless, selfless in the sense that anybody that wanted to come and meet her, I allowed it. I welcomed it when I really could have just wanted to keep her to myself. But I wanted people to know her. I wanted her to have a life of love. Sleeping Dogs now on digital. That's SleepingDogsMovie dot slash Wondery. And um, you know, during my my grief process, like I said, um, it started way before I even lost her because I was grieving the loss of what I thought my child was going to be like, and you know what she would look like, and um, what her. Because when you're pregnant, you start to plan all that stuff yeah. Their name, everything, what they're going to do in life—and then it was kind of like, it was ripped away from me. Um, and it really changes your perspective on what's important to you. And so, um, you know, that, that was a really difficult time. And I remember there were days where I really struggled. And then there were days where I laughed and I thought, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So when, when, right before she was born, um, we went and saw a priest because Sean wanted to know how to baptize her. And, you know, because we are Catholic and um, And the priest said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, Olivia's already a saint and she is getting or teaching you and Sean to be saints, like, because we were going to be doing this journey with her. And it always resonated with me and I just loved it so much. And, um, you know, when, when she came and we had hospice and all the nurses come, you know that whole process was really difficult. Like we, because we knew every day was such a gift and it was precious. And I remember um, I was part of the baby center, like some of the support groups on there, and they would say, "Still live your life with her. Take her to breakfast. Take her. Do all these things with her." Because I was so scared. I was like, "No, we're going to stay home." Yeah. And then when we really started to live with her, we got so we got used to caring for her, and the longer she stayed with us the harder it was becoming because I was like, oh my gosh, I'd wake up every morning not knowing. And then she would still be here. And, um, the day before she, the day before she passed away, um, we had taken her to the pediatrician and, you know, they were like, wow, she's doing really well. She, you know, and we chose not to do anything heroic. And, um, Sean and I had started to almost change our minds. We were like, maybe we really should look at like, heart, open heart surgery for her. Maybe we should. And that next day the nurse came out and that's when she said, she really thought that this would be the day that she went. And so we had anybody that wanted to come and say goodbye and that, you know, do that. And then we took that night for ourselves. And I remember I was like, not willing to put her down. I didn't want to, I felt like I didn't want her to be alone in that whole process. And, um, you know, she. It was such a wild night because our three-year-old was like acting goofy and and just being all over the place. She went to bed late, and then you know I gave the girls a bath and um, Quinn went to bed. And like thirty minutes later, we were laying in my bed. I had her in my arms. And our we kept watching One Tree Hill. That was like our show with Olivia. Every time we were like, okay, it's One Tree Hill time, and I almost got this sense that she knew I was not going to put her down. Like. I was determined that I was going to be with her every single second that when I looked up and watched the TV and looked back down, it was like, she took her last breath in my arms. And, um, you know, and my husband was really great during that process. And there was a lot of, you know, I was a mess that night, you know, I was very protective in my motherly instinct. I didn't want anyone to, you know, do anything and, um, and my husband really stepped up for me when I needed him to be and I wasn't even thinking about how that might make him feel in that moment because I was so focused on myself. Um but I can't help but think that you know she she wanted us to stick to our plan of letting letting her just live the life she was supposed to help her tell help her tell her story and not do anything heroic because The minute we started second-guessing ourselves is when there was that fast decline. Um, And I feel really fortunate that we had the 16 days with her. Um, And, you know, it really changed my perspective on my life, you know, my husband's life, our marriage, uh, you know, being just a parent. Something like that can't not change your life. And I just remember... It was hard, but at the same time, in a strange way, I felt very grateful that like I got to be her mom and that I chose not to give up on her. And then she was here and we shared her with everybody. I remember people came out from like all over the, like, oh, my church is praying for you, you know, because news gets around fast (laughs) where we live. And um, every day on Instagram, I like posted a picture of her. Day one, we sang, you know this, day two, we sang to Justin Bieber today. Um, I really made every single day like fun with her. And because of my daughter, I needed to have I needed for her to see that. Like that is kind of our story leading up to the grieving process. Um, I decided that I, you know, really needed to figure out what made me happy. And same thing for my husband. And something I've learned is that grief is very individual. Everybody's grief is unique and individual to them. And it made me a better mother because I recognized that, you know, we all are unique and we all have needs that need to be met and they don't look the same. And so my husband, I think, really respected my grieving process. And I think naturally I really respected his, which is why I think we survived this, this really tragic heartache. Um, You know, it's not easy to wake up every day, not knowing if your daughter is going to make it and still have a really wonderful marriage um, or still have your kids smiling, even when it kills you inside fast forward. Now the things that people care about, I don't, I don't care about like the littlest things that most people do. I care about the bigger things or just like, I appreciate every hug, every, I love you. Um, most people take that for granted, and I'm not saying that you know I don't I don't fall back into those patterns, but I really recognize that life is so short, and I just don't have time for like the little the little drama um, that maybe most people feed into, and and I think because of my experience, um, I have a closer circle of friends that accept my family, accept our story, and don't look at me differently. Um, And in time over the years, I've actually found sharing my story about Olivia has actually helped. It's been very healing for me. Me and my husband, I'll share. This wasn't our first loss. There's so many forms of grief that people, you know, don't always recognize. My husband and I had three miscarriages. Um, We've had six total pregnancies, three miscarriages and a child loss. So we have two living children. and. Every single time it's hard. One is not harder than the other. Like losing Olivia wasn't any more harder than losing our first baby at 12 weeks Um, because you hear the heartbeat and then you have all this hope and then it's like ripped away from you. So I just, you know, encourage people that nobody's story is worse than the other. We all experience grief and it is very, you know, it's specific to us and that is okay that we share that grief with others. You know, I think sometimes people think that they don't want to tell me something because it's not as bad as mine. Um, but I don't, I just don't think that's true, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. I can't believe it's my first time hearing so much of that information.
1: Right. And that's the thing I want, you know, other people to know too is sometimes when I talk about Olivia, I actually focus more on the, it sounds morbid a little bit, but like the dying process versus the leading up to the whole situation. And, you know, there was a lot of details I left out, but, you know, for the sake of time. Um, But I, for myself realized, I think that's why I got so emotional because I don't really go this far back into my story about where I was, you know, and I talk more about us losing her and the role I played, the role Sean played in, in her dying process Um, and so for me, it it was kind of nice to share that because I don't really share that very often. And I actually realized for myself, Ooh, I still got some healing to do on that end.
0: Mm. Well, I'm going to call myself out for a second because I feel like most people or a lot of people, and I'm speaking about me, you know, death and talking about death can be uncomfortable and you get nervous and you get scared to, trigger the other person or hurt them or re-traumatize them mm-hmm. by asking. And it's like, gosh, if Karen's having a good day, I don't want to ask her, hey, are you doing okay? Do you still think about that constantly? You know, like you, I think from me, it's like, oh gosh, I just, um, I just remember seeing you shortly after and you had made a really actually you had made a really dark joke in front of grandpa or something and I was like I'm so glad that like my cousin is still my cousin because I was like oh gosh this is really going to sorry (laughs) I don't want to cry this is not shit I, I was trying not to cry because I don't want to um direct attention to me yeah what an I, attention whore I know I am such a slut this is my journey this is your <laughs> shit and your grief um but I remember being like I know this is going to change you forever and I feel like so many people don't like come back like I feel like so many people their kind of light is kind of gone or like really dim or something and I remember you made a really fucking dark joke. And I thought it was hilarious. And I think grandpa was offended, but I was dying laughing. And I was like, oh, she's still like, has her sense of humor. Like she's in there, you know? Yeah, and that yeah. was like my, my, one of my first thoughts is like selfishly, my cousin is still here and I'm really happy about that.
1: Um, no, I, I agree with you. I think, um, people do get lost and they fall into a really deep depression and, um, and not saying that I did or didn't, I I will say, I think I have really good use of coping skills. And that is something, you know, you talked, you said that people feel uncomfortable talking about death or asking if somebody's okay on a good day. Um, it's very true. It's so true. It is so true because... Death is like a taboo subject. You don't want to talk about it. Oh, no, no, we don't talk about that person. Don't, why do you have frames up in your house of that person? Like it's not okay to recognize that someone died. Uh, it's part of life, it's a natural part of life. We're all technically dying right now. Some people are just ahead of us. After we lost Olivia, I didn't want to go back to work right away. And I remember my doctor saying, well, I'm only going to. Um, extend your leave if you're willing to go on an antidepressant. And I thought it had been six weeks. And I thought, why is it not normal that I'm still grieving my child? She just died six weeks ago. Why are you trying to shove meds down my throat? Because he thought it was weird that I was going to the cemetery every day. Cause that was something that I did when I was, when I was grieving and healing, I was going to the cemetery every day, to put flowers and spend time with her because I needed that for myself. It was my way of coping. It was my way of taking care of myself. And I was going to be damned if some doctor told me that that wasn't okay and that I needed to medicate myself. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of our culture. Everything should be fixed with medicine. Like it's not, we're not allowed to talk about death. And I think that's what drove my passion to want to do a career change. You know, uh, end of life is really beautiful. If you allow yourself to explore that, um, and be a part of that, it's really a privilege to be a part of someone's end of life journey, even though it's really sad, it's very sacred and it's a privilege. And so, you know, I, I did do a career change. I went into palliative care because I wanted, I wanted to be able to explore that with other families and let them know this is normal. This is okay. Um, you know, so I always welcome, I don't, I, I welcome people to ask me how I'm doing. If anything, it, it shows that people care. I think it's harder for me now looking years back. So many people gave me so much attention. Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry for your loss, this, this. And then two months later, it was like, I didn't exist anymore. You know, Olivia didn't just, it just doesn't, the hurt doesn't go away. It's okay to still ask people how they're doing. Um, yeah.
0: yeah. You mentioned obviously how this has changed you, but did losing Olivia make you view death differently? Whether it's the way that you feel about it for yourself or just in general, would love for you to expand on that if you can.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, losing Olivia made me realize death is not scary. I'm not scared to die. Um, and that sounds weird. Uh, I'm not scared to die because I look, I almost like look forward to the day that her and I get to be together again. And I have a strong faith, so that's what I believe. Other people might have different belief systems and that's okay. Um, it helped me realize that this really is a part of life. Like hardship is a part of life and death is included in that. And you know, my perspective on death is I really value now my own life and my kid's life more than I did before. And, um, this will be the hardest loss I will ever encounter. You know, you're not supposed to outlive your child. And I did. And anybody after that, um, it just will never compare.
0: Were there any challenging dynamics in your inner circle when people found out that Olivia's time was limited? You kind of mentioned that some people were not understanding the diagnosis. Some people maybe were having a tr- trouble coping Can you give some examples of what that was like and different reactions and stuff?
1: Yeah. I think it was really hard for me and my husband to feel like we were trying to grieve and cope while also taking care of other people because they didn't understand why we were making the choices that we were. It's not easy listening to family or close friends tell you what they think you should do when they're not the ones really in the situation. And um, for the sake of, People's privacy, I won't name names, but you know <laughs> it happens, that, damn it. And, and they might honestly they might listen and be like, I wonder if it was me. And it probably was you, bitch. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I can laugh now. I can laugh yeah. now. Yeah. But um no, but really, you know, I remember having feeling like I had to take care of other people's feelings trying to take care of my own. And because they, they think they would have done this or that, or why aren't they doing, why aren't they having surgery? Why aren't they putting them in the NICU? Or they can eat, look, I'm going to bring this person to the house so they could do this. Um, you know, I didn't need someone to educate me. I needed just my family to support me and my decisions. And um, although, yes, my family was incredibly supportive, um, I don't think they realized in that moment what some of these things that they were doing, how much it actually was affecting me and my husband. But in some ways, I am very grateful that that happened because it made me and Sean that much closer and united in our decision. Like from day one, Sean and I were on the same page and nobody could change our mind.
0: Yeah. What has helped you the most, if anything, during extreme waves of grief? And what has like, not fucking helped your grief at all.
1: Okay. So I feel like it's kind of counterproductive being around. It sounds so strange, but being around other people who have a child, Olivia's age actually can help me in times of grief because I almost look and picture like, oh my gosh, this is what she would have been like. And sometimes I just need that for my soul to to have that, giving myself that moment and permission to feel it and be present with it. But then I can backfire on me because then I get more sad, but not all the time. It just kind of depends on the mood I'm in. So, So sometimes I feel like I need that for myself. And then other times when I'm not ready or open to it or wanting it, it can hurt me more than I need. Like, do you get what I'm saying? It can hurt me when I'm not in that space to want it. Um, So it's kind of like counterproductive, but I will admit that watching other kids Olivia's age really brings me a lot of joy. And, um, you know, I'm kind of fortunate, like some of the people in my life, they have daughters named Olivia. I have two sets of friends that do, or anybody that's really, we've gotten close to, or has had some sort of impact. They always are connected to somebody named Olivia. And I just find that fascinating and almost a sign that she's just kind of around, or that person's coming into my life for, for some
0: reason. Camp sister's name is Olivia. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And how how many years has it been, Karen? Since Olivia passed, she would have
1: been five. She would have been five in September, September seventh. Wow.
0: Okay. this This is this might be a little too on the point. We don't ha- you don't have to answer this. Um, you have a sister who has a child that age. What is it like having somebody in your family who has a child the age Olivia would have been every single year?
1: So it's funny that you asked me that because (laughs) I love my sister and she's probably going to hear this. Um, we actually have been pregnant every pregnancy together. Um, which is kind of strange, like almost a couple weeks apart. And, um, After Olivia passed away and I met her son for the first time, she said to me, does it ever make you sad when you, (laughs) when you look at, you know, so-and-so, I won't say his name because I don't know if she wants me to, but honestly it doesn't. And I don't know if some of that is because she has a son. So I don't know if some of it is like, I don't really look at it the same because I can't, I can't relate to I can't relate to it. I I feel like I'm affected more by my friends who have daughters that age than my own sister. Um,
0: yeah, that's so interesting that the thing that can help you at times is also the thing that can hurt you at times. That's really, I was not expecting that kind of answer.
1: It's almost like when I need it, it fuels my soul and it makes me feel so good and happy. But then when it's in front of me and I'm not in that mindset to want to see it, because maybe I'm having a harder day. That's the part that gets me. And, you know, I think I mentioned it earlier, you know, grief is not linear there, you know, there are five stages of grief. Um, you can have multiple, you, you could be in multiple stages at once. You could skip around and, you know, people think, Oh, her birthday must be so hard. Christmas must be so hard. Mother's day must be so hard for me. I'm not saying other people, It's actually not. It's the random Tuesday that I wake up and I'm just feeling really sad. Or it's the days prior coming that I start to feel myself be like, oh my gosh, I I don't know why I'm feeling so moody. And then I realize, oh, because this date is approaching, but it's never actually an important date. And I don't know if that's because from the beginning Sean and I decided as a family we were always going to make you know the day she was born a celebration and the day she passed a celebration. We choose to make it a good day. And I always tell families you know that I work with now that that's what they need to be prepared for. You know the days that they least expect it. The days you're crying in the shower and you don't understand why because nothing's happened. Well it's your grief. It's your grief kicking in. Mm-hmm. There you don't need a reason you know
0: right does your grief feel differently than it did right after it happened or do you still have days where it feel it feels like it it just happened
1: um no it does feel differently if i'm if i'm answering honestly you know i have learned in the last 5 years time really does heal time heals i and ha- you know i'm fortunate i have other kids and they have helped me survive i had no choice But to get up every morning, make breakfast, take Quinn to school, you know, be involved in her activities. In some ways, I feel like she saved my life because I had, I had a reason. I was still a mother to another child. Um, so time heals because now five years later, you know, we went on to have another baby, which I swore I would never do because I didn't want to feel that kind of hurt ever again. And um, I knew that my, you know, we were at risk of having a child with special needs. And then because of I having trisomy 18, I was at risk for having another baby with trisomy 18, even though it's not genetic. So I almost felt like I was going into a pregnancy with two big red flags, yet I found myself still trying to grow our family. And, um, That to me was a sign, like, I am doing better. I am surviving. I still cry sometimes, I won't lie to you, and I still get sad, but I don't, I have kind of graduated, like, I don't feel I have to go to the cemetery every day. So when Olivia passed away, I was going to the cemetery every single day. I was listening to the soundtrack that we did for her service every single day, all day long, multiple times. It's just what I needed in that moment. And I think as time went on, I found new things that I was okay with that, that didn't, I didn't forget her, but it, I gave myself permission to heal. And I think that's where people get stuck in their grief. They think if I'm not crying, if I'm not doing this and I have forgotten about them, I don't want them to think I forgot, but really they don't, you know, our loved ones who have passed, they don't want us to be sad. They want us to, to move on. And so I think allowing myself permission to be like, you know what, I'm content. I wouldn't say I'm happy or sad. I'm content. And I think it's because I think being content is actually better than being happy or sad because you are stable, like you're stable and you can't get too hurt and you can't get too disappointed and you can't get overly excited. And I still think I'm a good mom to my, my kids. I'm a, I feel like I'm a good wife. Um, I think part of the grieving too, uh, besides giving myself permission is, you know, my marriage got stronger and that helped me heal. That really helped me heal because after Olivia passed away, I was in a dark place. You know, I gave my husband an out, you know, there's a, there's a higher divorce rate for bereaved parents, you know, who've lost a child. And I, and then there's also the high divorce rate for parents who have a child with special needs. Well, we got double in our lifetime together we've been together since 2010 so 11 years um and yet our marriage is good it's healthy and i gave him an out i really did i was like i'm sorry i i had like a moment where i was like i'm sorry i can't give you the life you wanted the kids that you wanted i tried I, you know if, if you don't want to be with me anymore this is your out i won't blame you and i will never forget he just looked at me and he's like stop I love you. You are my family. Like and you know I just felt like I was just I was failing him. I failed myself. I was failing him. And so for him to just say stop. Like you are my family. I love you, not these fake make believe kids. <laughs> like, you know. Like, yeah. Um and I needed to hear that. I needed to be reassured like he still wanted me. It was me he wanted. It didn't matter what kind of life we were going to have, as long as we were together. And so, you know, now I make jokes like, "Oh, by the way, I up my life insurance in case I get in a car accident. You'll get like two mil." He's like, (laughs) "He's like, I still want you."
0: (laughs) We got to press the good man button for Sean. He (laughs)
1: is. He is a really amazing husband. He's so pure and genuine. Like. Uh, you know, I just don't know how we could go through as much as we have in the 11 years we've been together besides on top of the normal marital problems people have and still be able to like wake up and like each other and laugh. Um, and we've never been to therapy together. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we are best friends. We have a strong foundation and we love each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and we respect each other. We really, we really do.
0: What do you think that period of time would have been like if you didn't have a kid that you had to wake up for every day? What if it had just been you and Sean? Have you ever thought about that and how your days may have been different?
1: Yeah, all the time actually. I mean, not now when it first happened. Um I wonder if we would still be together because you know, we wouldn't have any ties to you know what I mean? like I know we had a kid and I know he says he wants me and he loves me. but like if it was just us, would would it have been different? because I know that there was a period of time where I kept looking at him and all I could think about was all the things wrong with our marriage and how I failed him and all this stuff, right? So and I was like still waking up and doing all these things. I can't imagine if it was just us and I was looking at him that way. And I was having a hard time getting out of bed. You know what I mean? Because I had no purpose to get out of bed. Um, I, I wonder, would we still be together? I don't know. I hope so. If we were, I do not think we would have had any more kids. I think if Olivia was our first pregnancy, I really believe we would have just been like, hey, let's travel, let's have fun and just be content with that.
0: Yeah. That's really interesting. Okay. So right now at this period of time, we are, uh, amidst grief of, from losing our grandpa just a few weeks ago. Yeah. How does that grief differ from the grief of Olivia?
1: I think, you know, I look at, I look at grandpa's death. He was 94. He lived a great life and you know, it was his time. Like it was acceptable for him to go. This is what he was supposed to do. And because I think I'm so comfortable with death, I just knew, all right, he's going to go up there and he's going to take care of Olivia for me Mm -hmm. until I get there. And, um, the one thing though, that I do recognize is, and I had said this to my mom who also has lost a child and we have that bond is I thought, why am I, why do I feel like I don't feel anything? Like I should be more sad, shouldn't I? What's wrong with me? I thought something was wrong with me that I wasn't as emotional as other people. And, um, That's when my mom said, well, because you'll never hurt the way you have before. So nothing will compare to it. And it's so true because I've had close friends also pass away and I felt the same thing. Like I was sad and I knew I was sad, but it was almost like my heart was so protected, but it wasn't that it was protected. It's because I have experienced the worst loss that I don't think I'll ever feel that kind of pain again, unless I lose another one of my children. It does not make sense.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I, I, ex- that's an answer I expected. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it totally makes sense, even though I can't ever, you know, I'll never experience that. Um, how do people treat you when they find out that you've lost a child? And is there anything you wish people would do differently? Um,
1: yeah. You know, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. It, You don't need to be sorry. Sorry for what? I'm not sorry. I I mean, I say that because I'm not like this was her life. And if anything, I, I thank you for asking about her. You know, I have a hard time when people tell me they're sorry. And I know that's a really common response to people. um, Like when they find out about me losing a child. Um, But it makes me feel like they need to to be sensitive around me now, or they can't tell me certain things. I really do feel that way sometimes, but I do feel like it changes the dynamic because I don't want anyone to feel sorry for me. Like I still want them to treat me like Karen, kind of like you said, right? You were worried if, if I would be different and then you realize, Oh, thank God she's still in there. (laughs) Um, I'm still here. And uh, sometimes it makes me pick and choose who I decide to tell for that reason, because I don't want it to be one of these like, oh, you know, and then it goes into this, like if they have kids, like I have to say, oh, Quinn might say something at some point. And I just feel like it's a whole big ordeal. Right. It, It becomes an ordeal. It really does.
0: What would you, how would you like somebody to respond upon hearing that?
1: Um, great question. And. I think, you know, just, just recognizing, like, that must have been hard. Like, instead of saying, I'm sorry, maybe just recognizing, like, wow, that must have been really difficult for, for you and Sean. Or ask me to share a memory. Like, say, you know, ask me to share a memory. I think putting it more positive versus more... Um, like giving me sympathy, sympathy makes me feel worse. Asking me to share something about her makes me feel better. And I, I think the more comfortable people get with talking about death, um, and I realize too, it's it's other people who are not comfortable with it versus actually me. I don't mind talking about it. Um, and so I think that that would be good moving forward for people to just say, well, tell me about her. What is she like? Or what was she like? Did you guys, in that time, like, was there anything important that you guys did? That's nice because it's allowing me to share my daughter. You know, I don't want her to be forgotten. Just like if you were to lose a parent, that doesn't mean they didn't exist. You don't all of a sudden say, oh, I don't have a mother. You know what I mean? Like, of course you had a mother. And I think we need to normalize that as a society that it's okay to, you know, it's okay to be comfortable to talk about this. But, you know, people aren't.
0: Right. So what do you say when people ask you, how many kids do you have?
1: This is hard. (laughs) Whenever anybody asks, I dread that question, to be honest. I dread it because I feel like I never know how I'm going to answer. Sometimes I say three. Sometimes I say two. I always feel guilty when I say two, because I feel like Wow. I'm hiding the fact that I had a child who died, um, but at the same time, when you say three and they know you, they're like, "Well, who? Quinn, Patrick?" Then I have to go into the whole story. So I pick and choose when I decide to tell people or how I answer, depending on if I want them to know my information or my my story and how much time we have, because usually it's a whole ordeal. Like they want to know or. Um, Or sometimes I. (laughs) This is my favorite story. When I was pregnant with Olivia, someone asked me about like my pregnancy, and for whatever reason, while I was getting a pedicure, I decided to tell her everything. (laughs) This poor poor woman was like, "Oh my god, I get paid enough for this." She's like, "I, I'm so sorry," and I was like, and then I realized oh my God, I just needed to talk to somebody that wasn't family. And she was the chosen one that day and her face was horrified, horrified. (laughs) Um, it made me feel good, but (laughs) I think I enjoyed that. She was so like weirded out, (laughs) but anyways, so I, that's a really difficult question. It really just comes down to, I think the vibe of the person asking me.
0: Right. So how did you explain the death of Olivia to Quinn, who was three, three at the time?
1: Yeah, she was three.
0: How did you tell her and okay. make it make sense for her?
1: So we were very honest, Quinn, from the beginning. Um, and I've learned throughout, you know, in time, things that, oh, I shouldn't have said And what I could have done better, but I was very honest with her through all of it because, you know, we took Olivia home. She was on oxygen and she was seeing everything. This was her real life. And so I just kept telling her that, you know, we were going to church a lot at the time and uh, I just kept telling her, Oh, you know, like Olivia one day is going to go to heaven, but not you. You're going to be really old when this happens, just kind of prepping her. And then, um, we had, when we had hospice, a social worker gave us a coloring book. It's like a talking about death. Um, I have to look up the name of it to go over with Quinn that kind of explained, you know, death in simple terms. And I learned that you just need to be really simple and clear with children. And it's okay to use things like, you know, Olivia died, you, you know, she's, you know, she's in whatever you believe in, she's in heaven. And that means she's not going to live at home anymore. Being very clear and simple and giving her a role, um, which I know some people would be like, Oh my gosh, why would you ever do that? But giving Quinn an active role in her life and in the process, actually, I think was really good because Quinn, um, you know, she, she's thriving. She does really well. And, and talking about Olivia is like not scary to her at all. And when I say giving her a role, I mean like, oh, bring us a diaper. Or when she wasn't feeling good, you know, oh, she doesn't feel good. Let's like, maybe get her like a wet towel or something like that allowing you know not making her feel like she couldn't touch her because she was sick or oh you can't come near her because you're gonna knock this over that makes things scary for kids but allowing them to actually be a part of the natural process in itself helped explain what was going on. The one mistake I, I did do though for a long time was I kept saying you know she doesn't feel good you know she's sick and and I w- would use words like that. And then until the social worker was like, well, you don't want her to think every time she gets sick, then that means she might die. So you realize, you know, you have to be careful sometimes with your word choices, which is why, you know, research recommends you keep it very clear and simple and use real terms like death or died. Um, And then Quinn was the sweetest after Olivia passed away. She said, so if she's in heaven She's like really high in the sky. I'm so worried she's gonna fall out, <laughs> you know. But like here I am having these conversations with my three year old, and but it was her way of processing. And I realized how wonderful it was that she could communicate that. Like she was worried about her sister who was in heaven because it was so high she was gonna fall down. Yeah. You know, um, knowing that she wasn't here, like she understood. Oh, she's somewhere else, but could she get hurt there? Um, and I think as she got older, and recognizing what death really means, and now with her grand- great grandfather passing away, now she really understands like what this really means. And I think she's relating it back to Olivia, but she's not scared of it either because she she has like this foundation. Like, okay, well, he's going to be up high in the sky too, and he won't fall out.
0: <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right, yeah. What? Um, how do you guys? celebrate Olivia like what has there been any traditions that have happened since her passing like what do you guys do as a family
1: yeah so every year um we go out to dinner a restaurant that like overlooks the cemetery so we're like kind of having dinner with her I know for some people that might sound so weird and morbid but for (laughs) (laughs) us But, but for like, Ooh, you're having nice, dinner with like your dead daughter. Right. Like, but the reality is it's, nice it's comforting drink. for us it, yeah. and it's fun. And we like crack jokes and Quinn knows it's like the one time of year she gets a Shirley temple at dinner. <laughs> right. So there's very specific things that we make it so fun that we all look forward to it, you yeah. know, and then we have sprinkles cupcakes because Um, when Olivia was, was still with us, when she hit her two week birthday, it might've been her one week, you know, some, someone delivered sprinkles cupcakes for us so we could celebrate. So we've incorporated the things in her life to our traditions. And, you know, we listened to the, um, the album that my husband made for her, um, for her service. You know, it's like it's like the thing we do every year. And obviously we go and visit her, you know, um, at the cemetery and we decorate for Christmas and we bring her. We used to do a Christmas tree and everybody got together to put an ornament on the tree. We changed it to a wreath um because of weather and the wind, it kept knocking it down. Um, so we obviously go visit her on special holidays or just whenever we feel like it. Um, so that's kind of what we do, but we make it fun so it's not scary.
0: Yeah. How did you witness Sean experiencing his grief? Was it really different to how you were kind of navigating your own?
1: Oh yeah, sure. I think I was a lot more vocal about my grief. Um, and Sean was much, much more silent. I think you know, it took me a while to realize that Sean was grieving too. It wasn't just me. I just didn't know that he was grieving. Um, I just didn't, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know that him being quiet and kind of reserved and unhappy at work, that that was really him processing Olivia's, Olivia's death. And um, I did, I gave him space and I respected it. You know, he really didn't, he had one really long cry after her death. And it was kind of like, he allowed himself that space. And then that was it. And he grieved silently and he was more than happy. We always talked about her. So I wouldn't say he was quiet in that you know, in that respect, but like, as far as tears and being emotional, he kind of kept that in private. And it was only later that I found out that he would tell me that he listens to her soundtrack in the car when he just needs to, when he just needs to have one of those days, because that helps him cry. He -hmm. can't cry without it. And so he gives himself permission to take that time when he needs to. And then he usually tells me about it. And something I love about Sean is he doesn't keep that from me, but he's definitely one of those people where he tells me after he's done it, not before, (laughs) because I'll probably be like, are you okay? Do you want to talk about it? (laughs) And he just... You know, he just does his own thing. Um, And I respected that. I, I, you know, he, but he looked forward to coming home. And I think that changed perspective for him too, because he was in a job that he really didn't love. And he realized, I want to be home with you and Quinn. I want to have family time. Like if I continue on this path, I'm not going to have that. And we're going to be living separate lives. He worked nights. I worked days. We barely saw each other. And so, um, you know, he went to counseling, kept it more work related, but I know that he was using work as his way of, of like really processing her death. He didn't have to talk about it. He, he did it in a roundabout way that we, me and him knew he's going to therapy because he's processing something and we're just going to blame it on work because that's what he wanted to blame it on. And that's okay. Right. (laughs) Right. Um, And, you know, within a few years, he kind of figured it out. And now he's in a place where he's really happy, like he's genuinely happy. And what's interesting about his grief is I feel bad. I think fathers or men in general or partners, if, you know, people are partners and one carried and one didn't, they are forgotten about. Like people always ask, oh, is, you know, the mother, if the mother's okay, is Karen okay? Oh, how are you doing? Or you, you get lumped together. How are you guys doing together? Nobody ever really says, Sean, how are you? Are you okay? Um, I mean, family did, of course. Yeah. But oftentimes fathers are forgotten about. And I think that's really sad because, and me too. I, I mean, I, I'm at fault for that, but you know, we lost a child together. It wasn't just me. It was both of us. and. Um, it took me a long time to realize that like, wow, Sean also lost a child. It wasn't just me. And so, um, you know, when he is having a hard time, I'm the rock and vice versa. When I'm having a hard time, he's the rock. We just, we make a good team. I think.
0: Do you want to share with people the, the Tinkerbell story, the story behind Olivia's, one of her middle names, her middle name?
1: (laughs) We actually had a hard time naming Olivia I think Sean's, Sean's dad actually was the one that came up with Olivia Michael. And I think we laughed about how she was going to be like a designer, like Olivia Michael. And when we told Quinn what her name was, Quinn was like, no, it's Tinkerbell. <laughs> and she was adamant that Olivia's name was going to be Tinkerbell. Yeah. And she was, well, I remember one night she cried and cried and cried and she's like, it's Tinkerbell. And then when we found, and we kept saying, no, she's not Tinkerbell. But when we found out about her diagnosis, immediately, that was part of Quinn's role. You get to help name your sister. What do you want to name her? Tinkerbell. (laughs) So we did on her birth certificate and on her headstone, it is Olivia Michael Tinkerbell Trowbridge. And I love that Quinn got to be a part of her name. I almost think maybe Quinn subconsciously knew (laughs) Cause she was so adamant about her being Tinkerbell and I love it now because whenever we see Tinkerbells, we always think of, you know, Olivia. And that's kind of been uh, like a symbol in our life is a uh, Tinkerbell.
0: Mm, that's so sweet. Um, so a couple more questions before we wrap up, what would you, te- what would you want to tell the loved ones of people who are experiencing deep grief right now? Like, the people who might be like in their head, do I ask questions? Do I not ask questions? Do I show up? Do I not? Do I ask them how they're doing or do I pretend for, for like it's not happening? What would you say to those people? What would they, what do people actually fucking need during that time?
1: Okay. Well, what I will tell you is everybody needs to learn how to read the room. <laughs> like, what's the vibe? Because right. that will decide how you. Ask somebody how they're doing. Um, you know, some people are okay with, I'm so sorry if you're lost, things like that. I think you just, people just need to recognize that, you know, we, we're not in the right headspace typically. So if we lash out at you, it's not really your fault. It's just, <laughs> you just happen to be the person that walked through the door. <laughs> but, um, but really just be present and show up. Sometimes saying nothing is exactly what people need. It's just knowing that somebody is there without saying anything. Definitely don't ignore people. Don't be afraid to, I mean, obviously when you say, how are you doing? What do you, how do you think I'm doing? Like, don't ask me that, but you know, people are being kind and there's like, oh, I'm good. How are you? No, they're not. Say things like I mentioned before, like, oh, you know, um, this is, I, I imagine this is difficult. Like it's okay to be honest or it's okay to say, I don't know what to say, but just know I'm thinking of you. Actually, that might be my favorite line. I don't want you to pretend like you have to fill the room because it's silent. You know, that makes it worse sometimes. Um, So just being comfortable with being uncomfortable is probably the best answer I could give. You could just say, just thinking of you or, hey, can I stop by? Naturally, the, the conversation will evolve. We want to know that we're being thought about. We yeah. don't want you to ignore us because then we're thinking that bitch didn't even check in with me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay. So what would you like to say to the person tuning in right now who is deep in it? They are they are in the depths of grief. Something just happened recently, or maybe it's years later and they're having one of those days. What would you tell them?
1: Time heals. It really does. and. Whatever you are blaming yourself for, stop. Stop blaming yourself because it's not your fault. There are things that are out of your control and you can't fix everything, you know, whether it's a child, it's a parent, a spouse. But at some point, I think whenever there's a death close to us, we blame ourselves or we think I should have done this. I should have done that. I should have visited more. I should have called more that doesn't change the end result. You know, uh, you need to stop blaming yourself and give yourself permission to feel when you need to feel, but don't go too far deep because it will be really hard to get yourself out of that rabbit hole. But give yourself permission to to feel those feelings. Um and really take as much time as you need. You know, there's no there's no right or wrong in your grief and it takes time. I mean, you could still be grieving 20 years later. It just might look differently. You know, I think nobody's ever 100% healed, but you will be okay. It will be okay. And if you're not, then allow yourself to admit that you're not and and get help. I really believe that. I think we try so hard to fix ourselves or take care of ourselves, but sometimes just recognizing that we can't is a way of taking care of ourselves. Mm-hmm.
0: Well said, Karen. Well, thank you so much for everything that you just shared. I know this episode is going to help a lot of people. Is there anything that you would like to direct people to, whether it's resources or organizations or any information that maybe you have found, you found helpful during, you know, these times?
1: You know, honestly, during, during this time, uh, the baby center, oddly enough, was really my go-to because I was trying to connect. I needed to connect with other parents that were going through my exact situation or had been through it. So for me, I I needed that like a support group and not just any, anyone, I needed a specific one. And so finding it on the baby center was my way. And, um, you know, I'll be honest. I, it's not like I read books or I, I did go to therapy, but I think when I stopped it for a little bit and I went to therapy again later when I was actually ready to do the work. Um, but really leaning on my husband is what helped me get through that time. So the baby center and really staying connected with my husband and being open um, is what helped me. And I really encourage, you know, spouses that lose a child or you know, uh, parents that lose a child. Communicate with each other and respect each other's grieving process because I really believe that that is going to help you get through this difficult time. You know, um, you, you're not going to grieve the same. So I really encourage that you stay connected with the people that support
0: you. Perfect. All right, Karen, thank you so much. I'll see you in a second, I <laughs> love you. Love you. I just want to thank my cousin Karen for coming on the podcast and being. Just an open book with all of us. If you would like to share about how this episode affected you in any way, feel free to email selfhelplesspodcast at gmail.com and I will make sure that Karen gets your message. Karen shared with me that her hope about opening up about her own story would give other people permission to share theirs and for us all to become more comfortable with these kinds of conversations in general. So we hope this provided that today. All right. We have a quick iTunes review of the episode. Before we wrap up, I just want to give a shout out to MeCrown. I think that's how you say it. MeCrown says, a must listen. I love this podcast. The hosts are real and down to earth. They cover a wide variety of helpful topics. I look forward to seeing what they come up with every week. Thank you so much, MeCrown or M-E-Crown uh for taking the time to write that it's very much appreciated and definitely helps the show a ton um and just a heads up for anybody watching this episode on youtube i am in my little sister's bedroom while recording this so it does look like um mickey mouse vomited rainbows in here so i just wanted to give you a heads up this is not my bedroom anyway we love you thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week Thank you so much for listening to the Self Helpless Podcast. You can find our Patreon community, merch, and our individual work at selfhelplesspodcast.com. We'd be thrilled if you shared this episode with a friend or feel free to post it on Instagram and tag at Podcast so we can repost you and say thank you.